your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Hopefully that works. Thank you, Hunter. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. We are in the book of Psalms uh, in our sermon series, Scale the Mountain. Worshiping God from the songs of his people. All right. Thank you. All right. I'm ready to go now. I got two bottles of water here. We're, we're ready to go. All right. So we are in Psalm 88 today. And if you are familiar with the scriptures, if you're familiar with the Psalms, Psalm 88 is a pretty heavy psalm. So I wanted to start off this sermon a little lighter on how I've experienced uh, uh, so, something we've been joking about this week about this psalm. So uh, if you don't know, I uh, really enjoy doing house projects and uh, particularly plumbing. I really like plumbing. And so I uh, did a lot of plumbing for the Max in their new house. And they have the smallest crawl space in the world. It is just awful. And I was in their crawl space many, many, many times and would come out just disgusting. Uh, multiple times where I would be in a, sp- in a space in their crawl space where the the dirt was up against my back and something like a pipe or something was on my chest. And it was like, well, this is how I die. This is just the end. I don't know how to get out of here. So recently I had to get back down in there again and we uh, opened up a new hole. And right before I got back down in, I called Chris over and I started playing on my phone uh, Simon and Garfunkel's version of Sound of Silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. And uh, I joked with Bridget about playing that song this morning, and when she asked what was the note of the sermon, it was like, well, this is the song. Our psalm here this morning ends with, darkness is my closest friend. It's a heavy psalm. So, it's also why I got the smart board out for today, so we can, you know, lighten things up a couple of times. But, I want to give you this uh, this warning from the front end, it's just a heavy psalm. And if you're in a place where you've experienced significant depression or darkness or pain or suffering, it's okay to just be in that today. It's okay. If you feel like at any point you got to get up and leave, that's okay too. It's okay. Uh, you're not going to often hear your pastor like, it's okay to leave church, come on, just go and head out. But it, it is actually okay. If it's too much, it's okay. Because that, I think, is why the psalm is here, is for us to be okay with sitting in those spaces. And we're just going to kind of walk through this together as a church, sitting in the darkness together. All right, so Psalm 88 Begins this way for the choir director, a psalm of the descendants of Korah, a song to be sung to the tune of the suffering of affliction, which might have been like Sound of Silence, I would imagine. Uh, a psalm of, Hermit, of Heman the Ezraite. So this was a psalm to be sung, which we're going to talk about. Lament is a form of worship. This is something to be sung. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten. 
cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pits, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away making, by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. O Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I have been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have, completely engulfed, they have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. Now, there really is no psalm like this in the Psalms. This is the only one. There are many laments in the Psalms. A great portion of the Psalms are laments, but they all make this turn at some point, turning from lament into hope. This one doesn't. It ends in darkness. And so this morning, I just want to look at two things. And the first is going down into the pit of darkness. Psalm 88, 6 says this. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, in the, into the darkest depths. The psalm vividly displays the reality of darkness and depression. In various places in the psalms, it seems as though that darkness and depression is coming from a place of physical pain. Maybe chronic pain. In other places, it looks like that's coming from abandonment from people. My friends are no longer my friends. In other places, it feels as though it's probably some spiritual darkness, some depression, some anxiety, some thing that they cannot get out of. But all of it, the psalmist attributes to the anger of the Lord on them. Psalmist says, this is from you. This darkness that I'm in is from you. It is painful, it is lonely, and it is broken. Maybe you're there. Maybe you feel like today I'm in this pit of darkness, or I was there yesterday, or I know exactly what that feels like, and I've been there recently. And the challenge for us is to figure out, okay, why am I in this pit? And so I want to try to back up a little bit on something. All right, let's see if this works. If you remember, if you were around when we did our sermon series on um, what it means to be made in God's image, you guys remember that? One of the things we talked about, about being a person made in God's image, is 
that you are really, uh, you, are, you are made in God's image and there are these things about you that we can categorize, right? So all people are made in the image of God. And one of the things we talked about, about being made in the image of God, is that there's these categories about us. One of those is finitude, meaning that we are finite, that we, are, we have limits, right? And you remember, we distinguish between having limits and having sin. Often we think our limits are actually sinful, that there's something broken about us when actually God just made us with limits. Like, there is only so much my voice is going to be able to do that, right? I have limits. We have limits, all right? So there's limits, but then there's this other category that we talked about, which is brokenness. Now, brokenness is the reality that all things are affected by the fall, but not all things are a direct result of sin, right? Often our physical ailments, our uh, illnesses and diseases, they are not direct results of our sinfulness, but they're not the way things are supposed to be, right? Natural disasters, all these types of things fall into the category of brokenness. Also, just the way in which I am broken and have sinful inclinations I might not sin in that way, but it's a brokenness in me that affects my desires, affects the things that I want, all of those things. That's brokenness, right? And then there's this category of sin. And sin is anything we do in thought, word, or deed that God has told us not to do, or anything we don't do in thought, word, or deed that God has told us to do, right? That's sin. Now, the reason these categories are helpful is because sometimes when we are in some sort of darkness or depression, we don't know what we should do. And often, the way we interpret things is we kind of focus on just this one thing. Now, some of that is from, we are probably more prone to that because of our theological tradition, because we talk about sin. And we're prone to attribute everything that's not good about our life to somehow my fault and my sin. That may not be what's going on. That may not be what's happening. We don't actually get any indication in this psalm that the psalmist is struggling because of their sin. Now, sin has very real consequences. Sometimes the reason we're struggling with something is because of our sin. Because we have idolatry, because we have, we've done something foolish, whatever it is, sometimes that's the case. But often, it's not the case. Often we're just dealing with things and the reality of being in a fallen world. And so, it would be really helpful. Okay, I'll see if this is going to work. It would be really helpful if we could just take this and this. Oh boy, I messed it up. Okay. And this, and this, and just separate them, right? And if we could say, okay, I'm going to deal with my idols over here. I'm going to deal with my limits over here. Oh, the reason I'm upset is because I have real limits. The reason I am struggling 
is because I didn't sleep last night and my body needs sleep. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, I should take a nap. I shouldn't hit myself over the head and be like, I need to read my Bible because I'm depressed today. No, I need to take a nap because I didn't sleep. Brokenness. It'd be awesome if I could see what is broken about the world and help me understand whether this is something I need to repent of or something I need to lament. Am I supposed to just lament this thing? But here's what happens. Because we're a person made in the image of God, we're pretty complicated things. And so the problem is, the problem is that we are all of these things at the same time. You know what that looks like? That looks like a pit. The problem is, Rome, I miss you so much, man. It's just so helpful. I love it. I love it. The problem is, we don't know how to get ourselves out of that pit. We don't know how to figure out what is a limit, what is sin, what is brokenness. We're just kind of stuck in the pit. This is what the psalmist is telling us of what it feels like to be in the pit. In the darkest, deepest pit. What I want to say to you this morning is, this being in the pit is a normal Christian experience. This is not a non-Christian or sub-Christian experience. It's not a sign of spiritual immaturity. It's not a sign of a direct one-to-one to your sin. That's not how it is. And I know this from my own personal journey in this. I take antidepressant pills every day. I've walked through therapy. I've walked through darkness. And I'm still on a journey. And it's okay that you're on a journey too. It's actually okay to be on a journey out of the pit. Now, the second thing I want to share this morning is not just that we are in this pit of darkness, but that we can meet Jesus in the pit of darkness. We can actually meet Jesus in the pit of darkness. I'd love to tell you that I have a third point, which is walking out of the pit of darkness. But the reality is this psalm doesn't let us do that because you might not walk out of that pit of darkness today. You might not walk out of that pit of darkness in your lifetime. The way this psalm ends, it feels so hopeless, and yet I think if we look at this rightly, there is hope in a psalm ending that darkness is my closest friend. There's a hope found in honesty. There's a hope that is found in being heard. This psalmist shared this. 
And then the people of God sung it. And then the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, put it in the Bible. They were heard. Their problem, their darkness was heard by the Lord and honored. And there's a hope found that not everything will always be like this. You know, there's a couple of spots in this psalm that reference the grave. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? You see, here's the thing. What the psalmist here writing this didn't see is that Jesus was one day going to conquer the grave. There was a hope that one day someone would come and right all wrongs. That one day someone would come and they would crush the serpent. And that they would destroy God's enemies of Satan and sin and death. But we live on the other side of that. We live knowing that. We live knowing about the resurrection. But here's what's really important. That's true, and we need to remember that, but we need to not go there too quickly. Oftentimes, when we are struggling and struggling with depression, struggling with darkness in this pit, or we have a friend who is there, and we really just want to help, and we really want to help them get out of it, sometimes we give them a hope that's not ready to be heard, which is it's not always going to be like this. That's true. It's not always going to be like this. We have hope that not only will sin be destroyed, but brokenness will be reversed. And we will live in God's presence for all eternity with no sin, no brokenness, no shame, no darkness. A place with no night. That is true. And yet sometimes... We run there too quickly and avoid the very real thing that God is going to do in us when we're in the pit. So we need to know that that's true. And yet, we need to know that that might not be your reality until that happens. If you are struggling with some chronic pain, it might be there until glory. If you are struggling with some level of depression that's related to just chemical imbalances in your brain, it might be there until glory. If you are struggling with self-doubts and hatred and all of these things, it's probably going to be a consistent struggle for you not saying it won't get better, not saying it won't improve, not saying any of those things. There are real things that will help us that we'll talk about. But some level of that is going to be there until glory. I can't stand here and tell you that God is going to fix all of those things this side of heaven. 
This psalm doesn't let us do that. And it wouldn't be good shepherding for me to tell you that because you might have to be in it. So what do we do in it? What's the hope? Some of you are like, man, this is a, this is a bummer of a sermon. Right? It's a hard space. But I think there is actual hope to be found here. It's not the glib hope that there's always a silver lining. Sometimes there's not a silver lining. Sometimes the crawl space of your life is as terrible as Chris and Kat's crawl space. <laughs> right? Not all of us can have nicer crawl spaces, right? Sometimes it is just that. And it's always going to be that. And so there's not just this thing where it's like, well, there's this silver lining. God's always doing something right here. I don't think that's where we find hope. I think we actually find hope by being met by Jesus in the darkness. I've referenced this book already, but this book, um, since I've been back from sabbatical, is a book that I read over sabbatical um, that Serena had mentioned uh, during our mental health uh, awareness month, uh, monthly highlight. It's called The Lord is My Courage by K.J. Ramsey. Um, and this book was probably the most healing book I read over sabbatical. Really, really helpful. And she's just walking through Psalm 23. One kind of word or phrase at a time. And in uh, one section on the, the valley of darkness, she says this. The way to the water the sheep most need is through the dangerous dark valley. She talks about, she references a book written by a shepherd looking at Psalm 23, and he talks about this valley of darkness, right, that Psalm 23 refers to, and actually in that valley is where the most fertile ground is. It's the place that the sheep need to go, but it's also the most dangerous place. It's both the place of relief and the place of danger. Psalm 23 shows us that at that our dark nights of the soul are not punishments or problems, but places to walk closely with the shepherd while all other comforts fall away. Here we are shown the daring path named through. The only way to a life without lack is through the darkest valley. Most of us don't know the way through our dark valleys because we've been discipled to believe we are supposed to rise above them. In Sunday school and sermons, we're taught to want faith like a kite, truth that liberates and lifts us up above the weary world. We're discipled to tie up our painful emotions with string to the kite of Christ's resurrection as though the string could sail us on the wind over this world's weaknesses, rising high into a cloudless sky until our problems are out of sight. Faith is not a kite. It's a long walk on a dark night. The reality is sometimes we want to get out of the pit when Jesus is like, this is where I want to meet you. This is exactly the place that I want to show you that I'm good. That I want to show you what it means to be shepherded by someone who understands you. You see, Jesus understands us in the pit because he's been there. 
He's been there. He knows what it looks like to say, darkness is my only friend. He knows what it looks like to say, I'm crying out to you, God, and I hear nothing in response. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus goes to the cross, Luke tells us this. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. As usual. This is a place that Jesus regularly went to pray. He was regularly connecting with the Lord in this place. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. Okay? This is his closest group of followers. He has just told them he's going to die. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Now this is what's so fascinating. An angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. This was a usual place of Jesus to go to pray. Throughout the book of Luke, we see that Jesus often gets away into the wilderness to be with who? His father. Not to be with angels who are ministering to him. What the text doesn't say is that God answered his prayer. Actually, God said no to his prayer. What was his prayer? Father, if you are willing, please take this cup away from me. Jesus, who is perfectly sinless, is crying out, I don't want to do this. In his humanity, he is looking at the cross. He says, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And the Lord, in his grace, sends an angel to comfort him. But we don't hear that he is like in this, uh, in this moment experiencing this sweet fellowship with his father. He's probably feeling darkness. He's strengthened to do what he has to do. But he's feeling darkness. He's experiencing very real darkness. He's experiencing, I'm crying out to you, and I hear nothing in return. Nothing. He was sinless. Could not have been because of his sin. And yet he hears nothing. He prayed more fervently. He's strengthened to go do what he's going to do, but he also cries out more. God, I don't want to do that. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last, he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep. Exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. He's in the most agony spiritually 
that we see of Jesus throughout the Gospels. This is the darkest pit spiritually that he walks into. And what are his closest friends doing? Sleeping. Maybe you've been there. You've been in a place where you're in this dark pit and your friends are there, but they're not really there. They're sleeping on the job. Or, not only are they sleeping now, they're going to inflict more wounds upon you later. Judas has already betrayed him. Peter is about to deny him. Jesus knows what it means to be in the pit. He knows exactly what it means to be in the pit. And he endured that pit so that he would crush sin and Satan and brokenness. So that he could grant to us eternal life and a place with no more darkness. But not just a place with no more darkness, but also so that he could be your Savior who knows darkness, who will come near to you in the midst of darkness, who will come close, who will come close to you and walk with you. There's a place coming without darkness, but the way to get there is not by ignoring the darkness that we experience and hoping it will go away, but by walking through it, being honest and walking through it with Jesus. Now, I want to hit a few practical things of what this means for us. How do we actually do that? How do we actually do this? If Jesus is really going to meet us in the midst of darkness, how do we do this? And I want to use our SCALE acronym that we've been using throughout this sermon series. The first is STORY. The psalm here is encouraging us to be honest with and tell our story. To one another, this was a psalm to be sung among the people of God. But also it's really important that you know that it is often super helpful to tell your story to trained professionals. I'm convinced that every person, because we live in such a broken, jacked up world, needs therapy. So you should pursue therapy. And if you need help pursuing that, talk to our mercy team. Like that's the same kind of need that we would meet in other ways because we agree that this is a need that is as urgent as getting food. It's what it is for us. You need to be in places where you can tell your story. The second is Christ. We need to remember Gethsemane and meet with Jesus in the darkness. I can't overstate this enough. The place where you are, if you're in a pit of darkness, Jesus is already there waiting for you. He's already there waiting for you. And he wants to do something there with you. He's there. This is the thing that we often get ourselves into 
spaces where we're unhelpful with one another is because we only think of Jesus in terms of victory. We only think of Jesus in terms of like, well, when I get through this thing, then I'll meet with Jesus and it'll be awesome. A lot of the time, if you're going to walk with Jesus for a long time, most of the time you meet with Jesus is going to be frustrating tears. Like, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? You promised that you would make all things new. When are you doing that? This space of wrestling with Jesus in honesty, because here's the thing. We are either going to meet with Jesus in honesty there, or we're going to lie about it and meet with Jesus in smiley faces because we actually feel that way. So let's just be honest about it because Jesus already knows it. So let's be honest about it and let's meet with him there. And let's just see what he does. I'm not promising you anything. I'm saying go there with Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want from me? What do you want to give me? What do you want to say to me? Let's just sit there together and see what he does. And I promise it's going to be more wonderful and difficult than you can imagine. Affections. Affections, this next um, letter in the acronym, and really that means, what, what, uh, affections is kind of an old school word, but, but really means like our mind and emotions and our will. How do we turn those things to the Lord, right? So really like the center of the person, right? So in Hebrew, um, the heart is really the center of the person. In English, we think about the heart as emotion. In Hebrew, it would be emotion for sure, but it would also include the mind and the will. Where you're going, are you moving? So what does it mean for our affections? I think that means we need holistic care in order to turn our affections to Jesus. If we're really going to turn our affections to Jesus, we need holistic care. That might include medication. That's okay. In God's providence, we live in a day and age in which humans made in the image of God have done incredible things to alleviate suffering. It's part of Jesus making all things new. That's good. That's good. So medication might be included in that. Certainly, the scriptures are going to be included in that. Meditation, mindfulness, contemplating the things of God. It's going to be a lot of silence. It's going to be a lot of sitting and being honest with our emotions before the Lord. Certainly, it's going to include things like therapy, It's also going to include things like physical care for our body, rest, exercise, making sure you're taking all your vacation days, right? If you're in a pit and you're like, man, I'm so tired, and it's like, well, what's your PTO look like? If it's real high, stop thinking you're a superhero. You have limits. It's okay. It's okay to use those for mental health you need a pastor's note, I'm willing to write those. So. 
It also means we're probably going to need to rearrange things about our life so that we can Sabbath well. Like we might have to give up things, hobbies, things that we love in order for us to make sure that we get our work done in such a way throughout the week so that we can actually worship God on Sundays and rest in what he's done. Now, sometimes our jobs don't allow that. I totally get that. So how do we design our schedules in such a way that we make sure we're carving out Sabbath? We're carving out rest, right? It's a commandment from the Lord, meaning it doesn't go away because Jesus commanded it. But also, it's a gift. I mean, this is the craziest thing. The Lord, one of his Ten Commandments is, make sure you rest. And we're like, God, forget that. Man, why am I in this pit? I mean, God is trying to be kind to us. Let's let him shepherd us. And let's rest. We are holistic, complicated beings, so we need to treat ourselves as such. Love. The only way that we can love God is to love him in honesty. We need to love God in honesty. And then you know why we talk about these things also? Because we need to love our neighbors. I mean, it does not matter what study you look at. The world around us every day says darkness is my only friend. And often, the world around us hears Christians saying, get your life together. And not saying, tell me about that. What if most of our evangelism was listening with a posture of care versus speaking with a posture of judgment? What if most of what we were doing in the world is hearing the stories of pain and instead of offering something that we can't deliver, a life of health, wealth, happiness, and come to Jesus and everything gets better, we can't deliver that? What if instead we said, yeah, at the end of the day, life is pretty jacked up. But you know what? We have somebody who will walk that through us or through that with us. We know someone who will walk with us in the pain. What if that was our posture in loving our neighbor? It would help us not say dumb things to our neighbors who are suffering. Right? That should be a good bumper sticker. Christians who don't say dumb things. Right? Like sometimes we just say really dumb things that hurt people more. Let's instead listen and be honest and wrestle through those things with them. And let's help, rather than harm, let's help break more stigma around mental health. Let's be honest about our own journey and, and calling other people to get help also. Finally, exaltation. So I think there's a difference in the scriptures between lament and complaint. Complaints is talking about all the things that God has done to everyone else. Lament is saying the exact same words, but starting with God 
I'm going to say everything I just said to somebody else complaining about you, but I'm actually going to say it to you. That's exactly what the psalmist just did, right? Imagine for a moment you're sitting down with a friend and they say all of these things to you. I think the Lord has engulfed me with wave after wave of his anger. What if we just said, I think you should tell him about that. And I think you should say it exactly like that. Because that's what the psalmist does. You see, lament is worship. This is a psalm to be sung. We think worship is all happiness. Sometimes worship is, I'm so sad I can't say these words, I'm just going to hear them. But I'm going to speak to the Lord. So I want you to take all of those things. I don't have this quote up here, but uh, we preached through the book of Lamentations many years ago. And one of my favorite quotes from that, from the commentary I looked at during that, Christopher Wright said this, God's shoulder is big enough to cry on and his chest is big enough to beat on. We can come to the Lord with our honesty. He can handle it. And we can actually worship him in that. So we're going to do that. We're going to worship the Lord together. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to worship God together. All right? Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for all the things that you are doing in us. God, I pray that you would be gracious to us now, that you would work powerfully. Lord, if we are in a pit, God, would you not take us out of there before you're ready to take us out of there? But Lord, would you meet us there? Meet with us in the pit and transform us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.